That was awesome, thanks. Yeah. So you guys know Seth Martin, one of the tall people back here? Nine years ago today, I married him and his wife. It's his anniversary. Let's congratulate him. Awesome. Uh, so people who didn't like Jesus were always trying to get him, get him in trouble somehow. So they would ask him like trick questions to see if he would say something stupid or maybe even something blasphemous that could get him arrested or maybe even executed. So at one point, uh, they come to him with one of those questions. This is actually found in, in Matthew chapter 22, uh, starting with verse 34. So listen, listen to what they're asking him and what Jesus' answer is. So, so he says, so hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So we've got a couple of the religious groups here. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Uh, so teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Trick question. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What we're doing in this series is looking at Jesus' answer here. What he says, what Jesus says, is the most basic, most fundamental, most important Question, command of God, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. So I've been asking people this last week, so which of those is the most important? Loving God with your heart or your soul or, or your mind? And every person that I have asked thinks about it a little bit, and then they say, it must be, what do you, what do you think they answer? Heart. Everybody says, well, it's obviously the most important thing is loving God with, with all your heart. And I tell them, wrong, stupid person. I don't say that to them. But I want to suggest to you that it isn't our heart, it's our mind. And I want to suggest that loving God with all of our mind is the most basic part of this command that God gives us. And that if we're not able to, to understand and appreciate an accurate picture of who God is with our mind, we're not going to be able to love him. And the closer we can get in our minds to understanding who God is and what he is like, the more we will be able to love him. In fact, the more loving God will just become a natural part of our life. So what I want to do in these next couple of minutes is just suggest a couple ways that maybe you and I have trouble getting our mind around who God really is so that we can really love him in an accurate kind of way. Now, a lot of the problem is because God is not like anything else. Do they, do they still teach mythology in school, you know, like Greek and Roman gods and that, that sort of stuff? When I was in school, they did that. You know, so you study about Zeus, you know, or Jupiter or Minerva or Athena, those kinds of gods. And we think, well, of course, I mean, those are, you know, mythological gods. The real God is so much bigger than that. 
wrong, wrong. It's not that God is so much bigger than Jupiter or Minerva or one of those gods. It's that God is in a total other category. He is nothing like those Greek or Roman gods. In fact, God tells us, you're going to get in trouble if you try to compare me to something else. In fact, let me just read you. This is from Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. God is speaking through Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 46. And this is God speaking. And he says, with whom will you compare me? Or count as my equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Remember the former things, these of long ago. I'm God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. So as soon as we start comparing God to other things at all, we're going to get into trouble. So I want to suggest a couple areas where maybe if we can sort of expand our thinking, our minds a little bit, get them a little closer to understanding what God is really like, maybe that will help us to love God more with our minds, right? So the first thing is try to wrap your mind around this, that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. We don't even have anything to compare God to God in this either. So I was thinking about like the sun, see this powerful sun. How far away is the sun? 93 million miles, right? So it's this big ball of, of fuel and energy pulsing out all the time. And during the summer, if you go out, so it's 93 million miles away, you go out and stand in the sun too long, it's going to burn you. You're going to be burned by it because it's putting out so much power and energy all the time. But in, scientists tell us, about 10 million years, all the energy will be gone. The sun will be burned up. It'll be done. Is God like that? No. God's energy is absolute, unending, all-powerful. We use the expression omnipotent to talk about God and his power. Omni meaning all, potent meaning powerful. God is all-powerful. Everything he does takes no energy I think one of the, one of the reasons, ways we get sort of misguided in this is the way the Bible describes creation. So for me at least, one of the ways that I sort of try to stretch my mind is thinking about what God created. And so in Genesis, when it talks about God creating the world, how many days did it take him? Six days he's creating, right? Six days he creates everything, you know, light and the earth and the plants and the sun, moon, all that sort of stuff. And what does he do on the seventh day? He rested, that's right. So here's our image. God creates all this stuff, and then the seventh day, <sighs> whoa, wait just a minute. I am pooped, if you don't mind. I think I need to rest today. Right? That's kind of the, the picture that Genesis gives us of God in creation. That's not what it means at all. It means God created everything, everything. And at the end of that creative process. It's like God steps back and he looks at it and he says, yeah, that's, that's really good. I had a guy did some of my work on my house a couple of years ago, built kind of a catwalk around it and some stuff. And I noticed when he was done, he got it all done, he sort of stepped back and he looked at it, you know, and he kind of smiled and he took a couple pictures, you know. That's what God does. It's not that he's tired. 
He hasn't used any energy to do that. God simply willed it to come into existence, and it comes into being. It takes him no energy, no power at all. He just does it because he is God. So let's think about what, what it is that God has created. I love I love thinking about the universe and astronomy and stuff like that. In fact, every summer, I usually, at least one night, maybe a couple nights, will go out, try to get out away from the lights of town, drive out into the country, and just spend a couple hours just looking up at the stars. Awesome. Awesome. You know, we are, I, I've read that we can see about 2,000 stars on kind of a clear night. And in Bible times, they were probably able to see maybe 20 times that many stars. And throughout all of human history, when we looked up in the sky and saw those stars, we thought that's all there was. That's, that's the universe, these stars that we could see. And it really wasn't until a couple generations ago that we discovered that all of those stars that we can see, this huge cluster of stars, is really just one galaxy, one star cluster that we call the Milky Way, probably about a hundred billion stars in it. And all the stars we see are just a part of this clump of stars. And then um, a guy named James Hubble, I think, suddenly discovered that there were stars beyond that. In, in fact, there were other galaxies like our Milky Way galaxy of a hundred billion stars. And we discovered that there are Millions and millions of these other galaxies, and that they're all moving away, and space is exploding, and this huge number of galaxies. I brought a picture tonight to show you. It's one of my favorites. This picture right here, I wish it could be a little clearer. It's a deep space picture, and here's what it is. Let's say you take a drinking straw, drinking straw that's eight feet long, so it's way out there, and you put it up to your eye, so there's that little bit at the end of that eight-foot-long drinking straw. What you're seeing there is this. And all of those stars that you see are not stars. They're galaxies of 100 billion or 200 billion stars each. In fact, scientists would tell us that in the, in the visible universe, there are two trillion galaxies of hundreds of billions of stars each. What, what kind of being could create something like that? When I think about the universe that God has made, it just expands my mind. And I think trying to compare a being like that to anything else is just not going to work. He's in a total class by himself. God who created this incredible universe or just you know looking around us 18,000 species of butterflies in our world about 35,000 species of beetles in the world what kind of a god is so creative so powerful that he could make all of that so i think for me at least to stretch my mind to get a little bigger, more accurate picture of who God is, I need to expand it. And one of the ways, one of the pathways for me to doing that is thinking about God's creation, all the things that he has made. And when I have trouble loving God sometimes, I just think about what, what kind of being could create all of this. And he does it simply by, by willing it to come into existence. To, to say the word, let it be, and it comes into being. 
So that's part of what I do with my mind. The other thing that I think maybe you need to try to, to grasp your, in your mind, to wrap your mind about it, is that God is also wonderfully personal. Now this too, with my mind, it's hard for me to, hard for me to grasp. So I asked Alexa before I came over tonight, how many people are in the world? And Alexa says there are 7.79 billion people in the world. Let's just say 8 billion people. So I think about that. Do I really believe that this being, this God, could know me out of 8 billion people? It would be like having an ant colony, you know, with 8 billion ants in it. And to think I'm one of those ants and that God somehow knows which ant I am. But the Bible says, but that's exactly the case. That God absolutely knows you. One of, one of the... One of my favorite psalms in the Old Testament is Psalm 139. Let me just read you a couple of verses from what it says about God's relationship with us. This is, this is written by David, and he's talking to God, and he says, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my Going out, my lying down, you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows you absolutely. Before the words you're going to say are on your tongue, God knows what you're going to say. God knows where you're going to go. He knows every time you go to bed, every time you get up, it says. God knows everything about you. Now, here's where my mind starts to have trouble. Because it seems like there are two things that are sort of in conflict, and I'm not sure I can believe both of them. On the one hand, I could believe that God created me and that he knows me. But if that's true, it, when you think about what that means, it means God knows all, all about you. God knows every crappy thing you've ever done to anybody else. God knows every lustful thought you ever had, every lie you've ever told, every time you've been jealous of someone else. God knows all that crummy stuff. And so part of me could say, okay, I believe God is big enough. He actually knows that stuff about me. Or, on the other hand, maybe God loves me. Maybe God actually cares about me. It's a big stretch to believe out of, you know, 8 billion ants in the ant colony that God actually knows me. But where my, my mind has trouble is saying, but could both of those be true? Could it be true that God really knows everything about me and still loves me? And the Bible says, absolutely. It's hard to comprehend with our minds, but that is the truth. Paul writes about that in, in he was writing to some of the Christians who were living in Rome. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 5. He says, so you, so you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. No, for a good person. For a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I have to work to get my mind about that. 
but I believe it's true that both of those things fit together, that while I was still a sinner, while I was living in rebellion against God with all the dirty stuff in my life, God said, you doubt that I can love you (laughs) the way you are? Let me prove it to you. And so this God, now who is this God we're talking about? This is the God who created the two trillion galaxies. That God says, I'll come down to planet Earth where you are. And not only will I, will I come down and be one of you, I, I, I'd be willing to die for you. I'd be willing to die for you. You know, Paul says, well, once in a while, maybe somebody would be willing to die for a good person, but, but God, while we're still his enemies, was willing to die for us. And so this God of the galaxies becomes a human being, dies on the cross to save a wretch like me. So I think the more I can get my mind around God in his greatness, this unfathomable, uncomparable greatness, and this God who reaches down to me in my lostness and sin and loves me and proves it, the more I get an accurate picture of what God is really like, the more I'm going to love him. In fact, not only the more will I be able to love him, but the more, the more natural it will become. You know, somebody who's really excited about something, they love to talk about it and, and to be involved in it. You know, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like maybe heaven is going to be boring? You know? I mean, we're going to be up there in heaven. What are we doing? Playing, playing harps or sitting on clouds or something forever? I mean, I get tired in a worship service for an hour. We're going to do that 24 hours a day forever. And I think I'm not, it doesn't excite me that much until I think about the things even in this life that get me excited. You know, I, I used to, I lived in, in Colorado, and when we moved to Iowa, I used to love to take kids back to, to, Iowa, to Colorado to see the mountains, especially kids who'd never seen them before, you know. And we'd start driving into the foothills, and they're going, whoa, look at this, look at these. And I'd say, yeah, those are the foothills, and we'd get beyond the foothills into the mountains. And just to watch their jaws drop open and the amazement at seeing these incredible snow-capped mountains in front of them. And nobody had to force them to be excited about it. Nobody had to force them to say, you ought to be in awe of this. They just were. And the Bible says that when we get to heaven, you know, until that point, we're gonna, it's like seeing God. It says a blurred image. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see him face to face. And so even with my best efforts to expand my mind and get my mind around what God is really like, I know I'm still lacking so much. But someday, someday I'm going to see God, the God of two trillion galaxies, the God of the 18,000 species of butterflies, I'm going to see him face to face. And nobody is going to say, all right, you should worship him. I mean, he's really worthy of worship. You should love him. 
I just know what it's going to be like. I mean, I'm going to fall on my knees before him in awe and wonder at what an amazing God that is. And nobody's going to have to say, you should tell somebody else what a great God he is. They're not going to be able to stop me from saying, you should see him. You should see what he's like, what he really is. So Jesus says, okay, let's get really basic. Here's the most important thing. You need to love God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. But I think he's saying also, but boy, you just need to love God with your mind. And so my hope for you and for myself would be that we can just let our minds be blown, expanded to appreciate this amazing God who knows us and loves us and proved it in Jesus. So why don't we, well, now this is pretty amazing. We're actually going to take a moment and talk to this God who created two trillion galaxies, all right? And we're going to try to believe in our minds that that being, out of all the people that maybe in the, in the world are praying to him right now, that God is going to actually hear our prayer I'm not a good multitasker. As I can't watch television and listen to my wife talk to me at the same time, which she tells me often is the case. And I sort of think about God that way. You know, so God would have, so if I'm going to pray to God, there may be you know, thousands of other people praying to God at the same time. Do I believe God actually hears me? Does God have to say, hey, hey, you guys, shut up a minute. I want to hear Ed's prayer. You know, no. God is able to, to hear all of our prayers, that he's able to focus totally on every person right now who's going to be talking to him, and that includes us. So let's do that. Let's talk to God together. Because you are so big and so different than anything else in our experience, we confess to you um, our picture of you sometimes gets shrunk too much or it gets distorted or we just have trouble appreciating who you really are, what you really are and to believe in our minds that you could care about us. That that's what you were doing in Jesus. You were proving us beyond, beyond a doubt that you love and care about us. That's amazing. So... I would pray for myself and for these friends tonight, you know, that, that if, our, if our mental concept of you is getting skewed, that you'd help us to set it right. Help us to have big enough minds, big enough brains to get a little closer to seeing you clearly and to be able to look forward to that day when, when someday we will see you face to face in all of your glory. Amen.